Well, good morning. You are a good-looking group of people. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How did you decide what you were going to wear today? You know, how did you decide how you would pick out your outfit did you, did you pick it out last night and, and kind of set it out and, and, you know, all folded up and ready to go? Did you just get up this morning and get cleaned up and kind of go in and, and just pick out the first thing that was there in the closet? Did you choose your outfit because it was comfortable? Did you choose your outfit maybe because it looked nice? Did you choose your outfit because it's what your wife set out for you to wear? <laughs> Just want you to know I pick out my own outfits. But anytime I have to get up in front of people, I have to go through a security check. <laughs> and occasionally she'll say, mm, try again. That was close, but try again. As we talk about coming to church and wearing outfits to church, we were reminded and laughing about this this week of... Uh, a number of years ago when our, our youngest here, my son, was in junior high, and, and, and I was already in here at church, but they were getting ready to leave, and he comes down, and I think he had a pair of shorts on and a t-shirt that wasn't exactly clean, and uh, his mother said, uh, Thomas, why don't you go upstairs and change your shirt, and he said, Mom, we go to a casual church. And she says, yes, we do. Now go upstairs and change and put on a clean shirt, though. And so casual does not mean dirty. So there you go. We know that. Why do I ask this? Well, believe it or not, the passage that we're going to look at is, is going to talk about what the outfit that you're putting on. What, what is it that you're clothing yourself, only not on the exterior, but more importantly, on the interior? And so I invite you all to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. As we've been working through this series of Fearless here, and we've been in 2 Corinthians, and we're kind of jumping off here into Colossians here for a week or two, and we'll be back into 2 Corinthians. But in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17 this morning. If you're taking notes here, point number one is to put on holiness and love. Put on holiness and love. And in verse 12 here of, of uh, chapter 3, it starts off with just those words. It says, put on then. I want to just take a moment. We're going to kind of adjust the word order a little bit and take a look at that, that word then. It's a connecting word. It's a transition word. And so we could also be say, then put on these things. And then it's connecting what has been previously stated. And I think it's worth to get a little context with that. And so if you look back at the first part of chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. And so Paul talks about this section, starts off this section here by saying, you know, we need to adjust our focus. Don't just be focused on the earthly, but be focused on the heavenly. Set your mind on things above, not on just the day-to-day -day earthly things here. And verse 5 then, he says, uh, to put to death, therefore, 
what is earthly in you. And, and we, we see a big long list here over the next few verses. There are some of those things, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, verse uh, um, 8, it says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene uh, talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. And so we're seeing this process that he's describing of this putting off, literally taking off those clothes of the old self. And we see that, 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 that we, we have in our, in our human nature that we are born with our sin nature. And we see all of those descriptors that describe of who we were. But when we come to Christ, he says we're a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. We looked at that a few weeks ago in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. And so now we have this new man, and, and, and there's a process while we are being changed, and at the same time, he calls us to be involved in that process. And we see the putting off and the putting on of the new wardrobe. And so that's the context. Verse 11, it says, uh, uh, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And so we see this wonderful statement of equality, of who we are in Christ, that we are all equals in Christ. And it doesn't matter all these different variances within us, Christ is in all. Christ is all in us, and, and he levels the playing field. And so that's the context here that we pick up then in verse 12 when he says, so then, because of all of these things and what Christ has done and who you are in Christ, now put on the new man. And, and he doesn't even jump into that now. Now we get the, the then, put on then, and we get some statements of our identity. Look at, look at the description here in, in verse 12. I'm going to just kind of keep reading. The, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on then as God's chosen ones. We see first in our identity in Christ that we are chosen. That we have been selected by God. Romans 8, uh, verses 29 and 30 kind of describe a little bit of that process. And, and we see that, that God, he loved us, that God selected us, that, that he chose us, and we respond then in faith in Jesus Christ. And so God chooses, we respond, and then God starts that transforming work within us. Literally in other passages we see that God adopted us into his family. Is that an amazing thing? In the midst of our sin and filthiness, he still wanted us. He still pulled us out of that. He chose us, but not only that, he chose us as holy. Holy, the word holy literally means to be, to be set apart. And, and, and so we see that he, he has not only uh, chosen us, but he has then set us apart, separate from the old man and, and what the world is doing, and so that we're different, that we're holy. He is holy, and we are called to be holy because 
He is holy. And it's an amazing thing because when we come to Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are declared righteous. And and he slaps that label on you that you are righteous, not because of your own goodness or righteousness in any way, but it's because of Christ's righteousness. Christ's blood covers our sin. We We are righteous because he has made us righteous. And then we live life in the process of sanctification as we start to work out that righteousness and and he changes and grows us to eventually eternity when we will be completely perfect, sinless as he is. And so he's chosen, we're set apart, and then one more here in the description that we are beloved. That we are beloved, we are loved. That he loved us. Uh, the word there, it's, 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 it's that Greek word, agape love. It's that sacrificial love. We know that he sacrificed for us. He died for us. Literally, we could say it this way. What it's saying as beloved, that he takes pleasure in us. Can you believe that? God takes pleasure in me. And it's nothing of anything that I'm doing or have done. He loves me. He takes pleasure in me. God takes pleasure in us. Everybody say that with me. God takes pleasure in us. Do you believe that? As you're wrestling with things and the ups and downs, do you believe that God actually loves you, that God actually loves you to the point that God takes pleasure in you? Let me tell you what. If that doesn't get you fired up, If that doesn't get you excited, I don't think anything will. The fact that you're loved, that God loves us. And the only way and a small way that I can even make a a comparison to that is let me just say, as we get older and and our children get older and move out, there's one of the things that we're finding now is we love to hear from our children. I got a couple of them sitting in the third row right now. Let me say that again. We love (laughs) to hear from our children. We love to hear what's going on in their lives and and what they're doing and the ups and downs. Uh, Sometimes it's even a little bit of a competition as to who talks to whom. And did you know, oh, by the way, they called me today. What? They called me. And the the best is when we get a FaceTime and we're actually in the room together and can talk with. And we love to hear from our children. Most of the time, don't even have to talk about anything in particular. We just want to hear from them. We want that relationship. And if we, being selfish, imperfect people, enjoy that with our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father with us? He loves us. God loves you. He takes pleasure in you. And so God chose and pursues us in our sin. He loves us. He saves us. He cleans us up. He sets us apart. And now we see then, so because of all of that, because of who you are in Christ, put on then because of that, and we start working down through the list, what is it that the clothes are supposed to look like? What's the new wardrobe supposed to look like? And we see here, first of all, put on then compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. We could say it this way, merciful hearts. And actually the word even for heart, it it actually is is more along the lines actually in the Greek of of compassionate intestines. It's a gut. 
Why? Because the, the, the feelings and, and, and the Greek language, it really it comes from the, from the gut. And, and it's that compassionate, merciful, uh, the sympathy for others in need. What's the wardrobe that we're to be putting on and as we're changing and growing in Christ? It's that we have a sympathy for those in need. But not only that, we see kindness. Kindness, goodness towards others, helpful, looking to meet needs in people's lives, kindness. Humility. Humility is, is literally, it, it's having a proper view of God and then a proper view of us in relation to who God is. Humility, it, it's seeing the greatness of God and, and the smallness of me in comparison to God. It's free from pride or self-assertion, humility. Not only that, though, meekness. Meekness. Meekness, uh, sometimes translated gentleness. It's, it gives the idea of power under control. It's, it's uh, meekness. It's willing to suffer injury or insult. While you may have the power to do something about it, you're willing to sit under that insult in that moment. Meekness, power under control. And then patience. Patience. And these next few kind of go all very, very closely related and go hand in hand. Patience. It's enduring the injustice and unfair treatment. It's self-restraint. It's, it, it's not getting angry when things aren't going your way. Patience. It's an easy one for me to, 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 to think of. When I think of patience, I think of driving in busy traffic and not getting angry. Not being in that much of a hurry or, or that put out that they're not all getting out of the way so I can get through. Patience. The next two go right along with that as well. In bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Putting up with each other, enduring each other. Invariably, when you have two sinful people in the same place at the same time, I might have even mentioned this yesterday as I did a wedding here and the challenge to the bride and groom, there will be times that we're going to step on each other's toes. And, and to be able to endure that, to be patient with that, to, to bear with one another, to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And if one has a complaint... When we do actually step on each other's toes and offend each other, forgiving, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So forgiving, reconciling, setting down the offense, being quick to restore and so the new wardrobe is one, it's a forgiving wardrobe. And why would we be so quick to set down the offense that someone else has done? It's because we realize we have been forgiven. God has forgiven us of the greatness of our sin. How can we do anything but be forgiving to others when they offend us? Ephesians 4.32 says, says, very similar to this passage, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Because you're forgiven, literally Paul is saying, you must be forgiving. 
Otherwise, you don't understand of all that you've been forgiven of. Compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Verse 14, though, then says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And above all this, while all of those things are so important, even more important than that, what is the, the outfit to be putting on? We need to be putting on love. Putting on love, the, the love here, love, the agape, sacrificial love. Love is the glue that holds it all together. Love is the glue that holds together in unity, is what he's saying. Love connects us in, in harmony, working together for that common goal. The, the key to unity is love. Sacrificial, giving. Choosing to love. So many times, again, I, we, we had a couple of weddings that were going on yesterday that a number of us were a part of. And, and, and every time we would go through a wedding and, and, and challenge there, I just feel you must include the fact that love, while there is the emotion of love, when God talks about love and love between husband and wife, when love between people, it's always agape love. It's always the, I choose to love you no matter what. And it's not based on feeling, it's based on choice. And for, why? Because God loved us. And trust me, it was nothing that we had done to deserve that love. And so he sets that example, and so we are called then to put on that love. Not only that, and Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said that we were no, are to be known by our, our love. They will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. It will be the mark that you're a follower of Christ because you're loving. And where does that come from? I am so in love with Jesus Christ and what he's done that it just spills out in loving the people that are around us. You know, as I was uh, working through things over the last couple of weeks, I, I was remembering back to my childhood and, and somewhere along the line, I'm not even sure of, of exactly the years, but I was... Uh, probably in the second through fourth, fifth grade or so. I remember that in a period of time, my father, uh, who at the time was a school teacher, and for the first 10 years, of, uh, he was a school teacher and then later went into school administration and the like, but he was teaching school. Um, I, I was old enough that I remember these things. It's funny the things that you remember. I remember mom setting out his lunch pail on Friday afternoons because he would teach all week at school and then on Friday and Saturday nights he would work third shift at Wilson Freight Trucking Company unloading semis. And at the time we, we had the, our four kids and he wasn't making much money there and so he would literally make the, uh, as much money working two nights of third shift unloading semis as what he would make in five days teaching during the week. And so he was, for a couple of years, was doing, it was in this routine and was working these two jobs to provide for his family and to care for us. And how do I know that? Well, because mom would set out his lunch box there in the, in the evening and he would head in. And they always talked about taking supper break and it was the middle of the night. That never made any sense to me that we'd take supper break in the middle of the night. But, uh, but then I would see him come in in the mornings. And some of it, I think, is because of my mother reinforcing to us that, hey, your dad loves us so much that he, 
is willing to do this to sacrifice for the family. And I was thinking about that because it sets a tone. And, and as growing up and, and then later as, as I became a teenager and all the things, and, and as my father would do those kinds of things, I never once questioned that he loved me. I never questioned that he had my best interest in mind. And so even at times when we would disagree, and there were times in the teenage years we disagreed, but yet there, there was a unity that came because of the love that I knew that he had for me, that he showed that he lived it out. And, and I think about that. I think if, if he, being an earthly father who was still imperfect and still had his stuff like all the rest of us, but was willing to do that, how much more our heavenly father? How much more Jesus Christ, who sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice, he died for me and he died for you. That's the kind of love that we have received, and that's the love that we then should be sharing out to others. So let me ask you this. From these verses that we've already looked at, where do you need to update your wardrobe? What is it that still needs to come off, and what is it maybe that you need to start putting on in your life? What is it that might need to be changing as we walk through this list of, of the things to put on? How, how are you doing with your love? Are, are you someone that is known, known by love? Would you say in the past week or so, was there some times maybe when you were unloving? Maybe some things, some relationships you might need to, to get right. What needs to change? Where might you, or maybe with whom, might you need to reconcile with? Maybe you need to go and, and, and ask, and give an apology and ask for forgiveness and be reconciled with someone because you haven't been very loving. If someone has come to mind right now as I've been saying this, I encourage you, just jot down their name in your notes. Maybe initials there. Say, so this week I need to make this right. Jot it down. Put on all of these things. Most of all, put on love. Number two, we see, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Verse 15 it says, and above all these, put on love, sorry, 14, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Literally, allow Christ's peace to drive and to govern your mind and your feelings and, and, and unify us into the body of Christ. Peace. Let the peace of Christ. So what... Peace, peace means uh, uh, agreement with. It means treaty. Sometimes we hear that as a, as a peace treaty. Um, peace sometimes is being referred to as it's an attitude of rest or security. And here we see the peace of Christ. It literally means when we are in agreement with Christ and we have security in Christ, that, that we're on the same side. Is kind of the idea behind it. Jesus said in John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave to you, my peace I give you. 
Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So literally, Jesus was talking to his disciples and and even to us here today, the fact that one of the, the things that Jesus does is he gives us his peace. Is peace a descriptor of your heart and life? The peace of Christ, it's, it starts with the call of salvation. It, it, it starts with, with the fact that you recognize that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior. And you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin and for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. He conquered death and sin, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he calls out to us, when we make him Lord and Savior of our life, we then have peace with Christ. We're reconciled. James tells us that up to that point, we are at enmity, that we're literally enemies of God because of our sin. We're at opposition because of our sin, but Jesus reconciled that. He took care of that for us. And so the peace of Christ where our sin has been dealt with, and we can be at peace with him, and if we come to Christ, we are at peace with him whether we recognize it or not, in the moment. But it says, let the peace of Christ rule. So what does that mean? That that word rule, literally, it's an athletic term. It's let the peace of Christ umpire or officiate your life. It gives the idea of kind of presiding over the games. And so what is it that's that's to be the the driving factor in your heart and the the inner being and your thinking? The peace of Christ is what should be officiating all that takes place. It's it's what should be driving and, and directing in your life. Christ's peace makes the decisions of my heart. And not only that, we are called then to unity, really summoned to unity in the body of Christ. We should be at peace and then therefore have peace with others within the body of Christ. And not only that, it says, and be thankful. And be thankful. Peace brings thankfulness. And I think also thankfulness brings peace. I'm going to see that word a couple times here, but we'll come back to that. But a part of being at peace is gratefulness. It's that attitude of thanksgiving. being thankful, not complaining. Whatever leads to peace and harmony is what needs to make the call in my life. Uh, Peace should drive the final decisions that I make, and I should really be doing nothing that violates that peace. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't difficulties, and it doesn't mean that there aren't conflicts. And we may have disagreements. We may be under a time of trial in our life. We may be under a time of discipline in our life. And yet, in the midst of that, we still can be at peace. So how do we have that peace? Well, here you go. Here's, here's five ways how to have peace in your life. And I'll tell you what, I even hesitated to write this up as a list. Because this is not just a to-do list, but what this really is, it's all about a relationship. 
And you're going to see that the components here all stem from relationship. You want peace in your life, it comes from a relationship with Christ. And number one is just that. It's a relationship with Christ. It's, it's the salvation and being reconciled. You will not have peace in your heart fully apart from Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. It starts with being reconciled with God through the faith in Jesus Christ. It starts with that. It continues in that. And it ends in that. It is what wraps around all of this. But not only that, we see time spent with Christ in worship. You want peace in your life. It's going to come out of time spent with Christ in worship. Next verses are going to kind of touch on that as well with the the word of Christ richly dwelling in you. But it's spending time in his word, spending time with him and in prayer and in worship and in song and, and praise and all that goes into that. You want peace, then be with the one who brings the peace. Number three, it's trusting in Christ. Trusting in Christ. It's literally, it's believing that whatever is going on, he can handle it. It's more than just a, an intellectual ascent and, and I, I, I believe it up here, but I'm not really, I don't know, I don't know if I can actually trust him with whatever it is in my life. But it, it's trusting in Christ that he can handle it. And then number four, it's putting him in charge. It's actually letting him handle it. You want, you want peace in your heart you want the peace of Christ to rule in your heart, then you got to put him in charge. He needs to be in charge of your life. He needs to be in charge of your heart and your thinking and feeling and will and all that goes on in the inner man. Trusting in Christ, it, it means putting aside fear and anxiety. Putting him in charge of your life, it means setting aside control and pride, the things that we try to hang on to or that we try to manipulate and, and, and work it so that it goes the way we want it to go. Control, which is manipulation. And then number five, when we have peace in our life, then we should be a peacemaker. When we have peace and we have been reconciled, then we need to be all about reconciliation. And also then trying to keep the peace with others that we interact with. And being a peacemaker. And coming alongside and pointing others to that reconciliation. Peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You know... uh, It seems like these days uh, we're sort of becoming an expert on hurricanes, aren't we? I mean, it's just crazy here. We're trying to even look up to see, was there always this many hurricanes here in the fall that would come through? Is it just we just weren't aware of it? Uh, Were they just not coming up onto our shores so we weren't aware? Or maybe we're in a season where there's uh, a little more than normal and we had Hurricane Harvey, we had Hurricane Irene, there's been several others in the, in the mix even in between, but those have touched us. Hurricane Nate is now on land, has been moved to a tropical storm. And I say it's funny because we're becoming experts of that. We, our son is uh, stationed right now in Pensacola, so it just kind of went through and 
we've heard, we talked to him late last night, but we heard from this morning, not from him directly, but from his girlfriend, he's going to hear about that, that he's all right there, they've, they've gone through in that, but you know, it's interesting as we, sometimes you hear, as you, you hear about these hurricanes and you see all of this uh, just horrible, horrible wind and rain and all takes place and you, you see the maps and, and you see as they, as they run the, the radar there and you see this swirling action that takes place here with the hurricane and it's moving and swirling at the same time. But the interesting part of that is right in the middle of all of this activity and all of this craziness and all of the, the terrible, terrible winds that are taking place, there is a, a place of calm in the middle of the storm. They call it the eye of the hurricane. I've even seen before video of, of, of airplanes and these special airplanes that they would fly into the hurricane and, and then all of a sudden they would get to the eye of the hurricane and after they get through the front edge, and then the, they would see the sun, and it would be relatively peaceful and breezy. And as they keep on going, then they hit the backside of that hurricane, and, and, the, and the, the storm starts up again. And so I was thinking about the peace of Christ ruling your life. It's literally like living in the eye of the hurricane. And so while everything may be going on and all of the swirling and all of the trials and the difficulties and some that we cause ourselves and others that just happen because we live in a fallen world, and yet in the midst of that, whatever terrible storm you may be going through, you can have the peace of Christ ruling your heart. You can be in the eye of that hurricane. And the storm is going to town all around you, and yet there's calmness, there's security, there's safety. Because of Jesus Christ, his peace in your life. So let me ask you, is the peace of Christ ruling your heart? Is the peace of Christ ruling your heart? Have you made peace with Christ? Maybe you are here and you're still at war with God because of your sin. You've never come to that place where you said, okay, done with me. Him for me. Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm going to move aside and let you take over in my life. Admit that I'm a sinner. I'll believe in Jesus Christ and what he did in dying for my sin and living a perfect life, being sinless, and yet taking the penalty for my sin, taking my place, dying for that, and then being raised again and having victory over death. And I'm going to move you over into the driver's seat of my life and be reconciled with Christ. Maybe you've done that, but yet you're still keep struggling with peace in your life. Because even though you've been reconciled, you still like to take that control. What's getting, away, what's getting in the way of the peace of Christ ruling in your life? Anxiety? Fear, control, I just can't trust anybody else and even God to handle this. I've got to handle it myself. Anger, when I don't get my way and I get angry because I've got to have my way in this. Manipulation goes with the control and the anger and, and so I will do what I need to do to get what I want in that moment. What needs to be set down? Confess and say, Lord, I'm going to 
I'm going to trust in you. Let the peace of Christ rule your life. Number three, let the word of Christ richly dwell. Point number three, let the word of Christ richly dwell. Verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Let the word of Christ literally saturate, permeate yourself with God's word, allowing him to guide you and and direct you in sound wisdom and sound advice. The the word of Christ, we we could define that literally, it's, it's the revelation that he brought to the world. The word of Christ, God's word that he gave to man, this love letter that he has presented to us. Let the word of Christ richly, richly, extravagantly rich is kind of the idea, to abundantly let the word of Christ just, just lavishly and abundantly dwell within us. The word dwell means to, to live in, to be at home, to be saturated. Where, where we are so just inundated with God's word, it's such a part of our life that we're reading it, we're meditating on it, we're speaking of it. We're listening to songs and musics that are all referring to it. That it's so a part of our life in directing in the decisions that we make, that every decision that we have runs through that filter of God's word and that we know it well enough that it can be a good filter in our life as to what needs to stay and what needs to go and what needs to continue. The word of, life, word of God richly dwelling within our lives and then, and then teaching and admonishing to instruct and correct in the wisdom from God's word teaching and correcting in all wisdom and that wisdom from God's word that we see. It's the, and we see the wisdom there. It's the knowledge and the application of God's word in our life. And so God's wisdom there is pouring in and through us and then we are living that out and then even proclaiming it out and teaching and, and, and admonishing others that we come in contact with. And not only that, that we are then leads us to worship. Leads us to worship uh, singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That, that it's just driving us then to, to worship and praise to God in all different forms and fashions and types of songs and, and music that, that we'd be singing in so many different ways. As God's word is so permeated in our life, it leads us to worship. And not only that, though, also then with thanksgiving. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, the more that we spend time with God, the more that we see God in his word, the more that we realize how much we have to be grateful for. We have so much to be thankful for. The, the, the believer, the life of the believer should be so marked by thankfulness. And, and you see this here in, in 15, 16, and 17. Three different times you see this, this and, and be thankful 
and with thankfulness in your hearts to God, verse 16 and verse 17, giving thanks to God our Father through him. I don't think it's by accident that over and over as he's telling these things to be putting on, he's saying, and be thankful, and be thankful, and be thankful. As we talk about unity in the body of Christ, those are so tied together, this attitude of thankfulness. In everything, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever you do in word or deed, and everything that you do, spoken or action, may it be done as a representative of Christ for his glory and out of gratitude for our Heavenly Father. In everything that we do, and everything means, well, everything. All the things that we do, we need to be doing them as a representative of Christ. We do it in the name of Jesus Christ. When, we talk, when it talks about the name, and I think back in the first century here when this was written, the, 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 the power in the name was, was even stronger than, than probably what we have even here. The, the name, it, it, it meant identification. It, it, it meant authority. When you came in the name of someone, you, you were identified with them, you came with the authority that comes from that person and the, and the position that they hold. You were literally a representative of them. And so as we do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, we're doing everything as a representative of Jesus Christ. In all areas of our life, in all the things that we say, and all the things that we do, moment by moment, day by day, we represent Jesus Christ. I represent Jesus. Say that with me. I represent Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, then you represent Jesus. And if I'm honest, I look at my life and say, I represent Jesus sometimes better than others. Sometimes I'm not doing a very good job, maybe, of representing Christ. But I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things is, as missions pastor, I, I, I get to travel a lot. And uh, I get to travel uh, of late in the last few years. We've been traveling a lot in, in Haiti as well. And and anytime you leave the United States, especially here in the last decade, anytime you leave the United States, you need to have certain papers with you. It's this little blue book, and it's called what? A passport. So you don't leave the country. They won't even let you on the plane if you don't have a passport and show them like six times so that they make sure that you've got passports. And I, I, I threw up a picture here, and you notice, though, there's three different passports. What? I have seen a couple of times throughout my journeys here of late. Did you know that in the United States you can actually get three different colors of passports? Well, some people can anyway. The blue passport, and that's what all of us that, that, that would have a passport normally start off with. That's just the regular identification of a citizen of the United States. They have also then these official passports that are more the brownish colored passport. And, and those are a lot of times for government employees and sometimes even military things where they're uh, going and doing certain things for a season out of the country. And they will be issued that special passport there. But then, and I've actually never actually seen one of those brown ones, but I've seen those black passports. I've seen the diplomatic passport. 
And I'll be honest with you, the, the couple times I've seen a black diplomatic passport was because I was standing in a line in customs and immigration for quite some time, and a guy would walk by that has that black diplomat passport, and he was usually skipping in front of everybody in line and walking right through. But that black passport, it, it is the diplomat's passport. They, it signifies that they represent the United States of America. That they are there on official duty as an official representative, a diplomat of the United States of America. There are times it would be kind of handy to have one of those black passports. I think there are times it probably would be not so handy to have one of those black passports as well. But, but it's the official representative of the country. As we see in this passage, what, really what Paul's ending here in verse 17, he's saying, look, that's you. You're the diplomat. And in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he says that you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You represent Jesus Christ. We need to start thinking of ourselves and as we're living it out, as we're living intentionally for Jesus Christ, that we're, we're carrying that black diplomat's passport. We're a representative of Christ. So let me ask you, how are you doing at representing Christ? How's that going? How well do you know the one that you're representing? Do you know who you're representing? Do you know them well? Do you know what, really what it looks like to represent Christ? Or maybe as I've just shared at times, are there times there, maybe in the last week, where you spent more time representing yourself than you did representing Jesus Christ? That's the challenge for this week. Remember that we are to put on a new wardrobe. We're to be working on that as, as, as we've come to Christ and he changes us. And if there's anybody here and you've never come to Christ, if the peace of Christ is not ruling in your heart, get that straight today. You can be reconciled to God. And if you have, then live intentionally as the new man with the new clothes, as a representative of Jesus Christ.